Hello, it's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais with another episode of the Yacking Show Business Channel. And this is the show that brings you actionable tips and ideas from expert guests so you can ensure your business survives and thrives in the interesting times we're heading into. And as always, we have interesting guests. But first, let's introduce co-host Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. How are you today? I'm doing great, Peter. Thank you so much. And thank you all so very much for tuning in to our show. We so appreciate having you. And you know, Peter and I have the great privilege of interviewing such wonderful business experts. And of course, today is no exception. We have the great privilege of having Paul Teasdale all the way from England with us today. How are you, Paul? I'm superb. Thanks for having me on. I'm good. Yes, I'm sorry, Peter. No, I'm just saying good. Good to see him. Good to have Paul on the show. (laughs) So Paul is a speaker, he's a business coach and facilitator, as well as a podcast host of Helping People Perform. So Paul, how do you help people perform using, which is interesting, I I really am interested in hearing this, how, how do you help people perform using the Formula One Insights? Um, Well, thanks for the question. And and Basically, I had the privilege uh, in my career, I've had some amazing jobs with some amazing uh, different environments and getting all these different experiences. But the most recent one, I spent seven years working with Formula One team McLaren, who are Mm. um, based here in the UK, in fact, just down the road from me here. Um, And I got to work with that team, helping take out to external businesses the ways of working, some of the technologies, the practices, the leadership insights that make a uh, high-performing team like any Formula One team, but McLaren specifically here, that make them tick. And there are certain elements within that, even outside of the world of Formula One, where you can start to say, right, these insights, these tips and tricks are applicable to any organization. So when you start to think about how does a high-performing team uh, lead, how does a high-performing team work together, what does it mean to have good quality debriefs, uh, how, do, how do they communicate together, all sorts of different angles that when you look at an inspirational element such as Formula One team, which they, they can be this sort of elite of the elite in, in motorsport at least, then um, you can start to in, bring in some of those learnings and insights and help inspire people so that they can realize that actually high performance is something that is achievable and attainable for themselves. And that's what I do mm-hmm. these days. Wow. Interesting. That Before we go on, for our non-European audience who might not be familiar with Formula One, McLaren, I know, is one of the leading teams. McLaren ha- also produces a very expensive sports car for, the, for road use. And that comedian, Mr. Bean, had one and he crashed it, if I remember rightly. So, <laughs> Famously but, so, yeah. Yeah. Do, does McLaren produce any other cars? Um, so they are a supercar manufacturer. So right. they they started off with the uh, with the P1 and the, um, mm-hmm. the the car that um, Mr Bean had, and famously uh, cost him over a million pounds in repairs. <laughs> yeah, that's not, right. <laughs> not the car itself to begin yeah. with. This was the repairs to get it get it back up and running. Yeah. Um, they now do a whole range of cars, and they've actually upped their production. It's still small scale, uh, relevant to uh, other organisations and other supercars mm-hmm. that are out there. But um, yeah, they've got a whole ray of more accessible cars, shall we say? If you've only got a couple of hundred thousand pound uh, burning a hole in your pocket, then uh, then there's some options for you there as well. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That's good to know. But um, so 
you talked about McLaren. Who are your some of your other clients? Yeah, don't give away any confidential information, but what type of business uh, are you working with? Because high performance sports cars, supercars, are a very small market, right? Yeah, oh, a small number, small number of uh, manufacturers, should I say? Not small, not small in turnover. <laughs> um, so when I was working with McLaren, I was employed by McLaren. Um, I'm mm-hmm. now um, independent, um, right? Take, taking my learnings out to clients, and the sort of clients I work with, um, I work with corporates. So I do everything. That's where the speaking comes in. Generally, mm-hmm. where I come in, I'll do a, a keynote speech or some some insights around uh, Formula One, around leadership, teamwork all those uh, decision-making and data-driven decisions in particular. Um, or I can work with the sort of more medium-sized and um, uh, medium sized businesses who've got a passion for taking um, the inspiration from the world of Formula One and mm-hmm. helping bring that and embed it in with their own organization. So it's ambitious organizations. It doesn't have to be uh, those bigger sizes, but you tend to find that those organizations are already mature enough to a level that mm-hmm. they can then up their game, and uh, you know you're, you're not trying to to save somebody from drowning in those cases. Uh, right. What you're trying to do is make them an elite sports person in their own right. You know, so uh, that's that's what I'm trying to do with those organisations. Okay, interesting. So and I've worked with everything from uh, banking, uh, oil and gas. Uh, all, in fact, when I was at McLaren, my first job there was with supermarket shelf stacking. Believe it or okay. not. Okay. So. <laughs> There's all sorts of weird and wonderful applications where sure. if you take if you take those if you take those ways of working those technologies or the approaches to technology. Mm-hmm. So if if you want me to elaborate and yak on sure. a little bit on the <laughs> on the supermarket shelf stack in the um, one of the big giants in the UK anyway from a supermarket perspective, we're spending a billion pound a year on the labour cost alone to put things onto shelves. Wow. So that's the scale of some of these organizations. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And when you look at um, the operation of putting things on the shelves, people go out to the back of the store. They go, right, we're going to need five tins of these beans and uh, some packets of uh, those crisps. And we're going to need that. Right. Let's bring it all back to the shelf. Oh, there isn't room. I thought I needed <laughs> five tins of those beans. I've only got room for three. Uh, and by the way, the, the, the soup that's next to them, that's completely empty. And I didn't expect that to be empty. Because of the way the data flows within, right. uh, you're basing things off assumptions and off um, off predictive data as opposed to sort of live data in, mm-hmm. in the real time. So you're wasting a lot of time and money on doing those operations. But funnily enough, they didn't have a clue as to what the scale of this problem was. They can do anecdotal pieces for themselves, but sure. actually, how do we how do we put some numbers around it and put some quanta? And so we took the uh, simulation and modeling. Uh, expertise that we had in McLaren and started to build up models of their stores. Ah, okay. And we're able to say, right, what would happen? Let's use some data to, um, with some machine learning to understand how this operation works. Now, what would happen if we made a change? And this is this sort of um, idea of the digital twin or the virtual environment where you can Mm -hmm. just make some tweaks and say, if I made this one tweak here, what would the predictive outcome be? Okay. Therefore, if I know that if I make my shelves slightly deeper, for instance, mm-hmm. so they can hold more, what's the impact? Oh, I don't know for sure exactly what the number is, but that looks like it could save me uh, 20 million pounds mm-hmm. in, in that sort of quanta. Sure, sure, sure. You don't know the exact, but it's like, okay, well, if that's going to cost me 100 million pounds to do it, 
there's no point in doing it. No point doing it. Right. Whereas right. if I can come up with a different scenario, if I, I, they can play with, uh, let's say, the um, the mix of products that they have, and say instead of 47 varieties of soups, I'm going to bring that down to 20. Mm-hmm. What does that have that has an impact mm-hmm. on the whole process? Mm-hmm. So you can start to model these things and simulate it sure. and test things in a virtual world so you don't have to in the real world. In the real world, yeah. Wow. Risk and if a company that's spending a billion pounds, you can if you save them 1%, that's 10 million, right? Yeah, it's not, not bad cash. <laughs> wow, not bad cash at all. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so Paul, what is the biggest factor what, what do you think is the biggest factor preventing people from performing to their highest potential? Um, clarity tends to be the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the reasons, and often get asked about why is it the Formula One teams are so successful or, or, or so high performing? Well, it's very clear as to what you're looking to do mm-hmm. and what you're there to achieve. So in all parts of the business, if what you're doing isn't delivering a car that is do, performing as the best that it can or supporting that in some way, mm-hmm. then you shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of organizations, no matter how clear they think they are, as soon as that starts to disseminate down the organization, then people get their own view of what they think the purpose is and what they are, they think the, um, the, the direction of the company even is if they're not constantly reminded. And so a high performing team has clarity first and foremost in my mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. And I know mm-hmm. a lot of, um, sort of experiments and um, anecdotal things have come through speaking to, let's say, a board team who might have 10 members on them and you take them away separately and say, right, what's the purpose of this organization? And you can come back with 10 separate answers. Yeah, no, sure, sure. It might be similar, but they're not, yeah. they're not the same. Yeah. And as, as soon as they start to realize that, you can start to say, well, if you 10 who are leading this organization can't be clear as to what this is, then why do you expect your organization to have that clarity as well. So mm-hmm. that's one of the first things that I was would always work on is what, what are the results that you're trying to drive? And that's not just profit. It's how you're looking to do that as well. Hmm. All right. Wow. <laughs> so I was going to ask you what sort of solutions people look for, but you've sort of covered that. I, I would imagine that having spent that time at McLaren, and I, I used to follow Formula One racing every Sunday when there was a race on when I lived in South Africa and and even Zimbabwe when we had TV. Um, and what amazed me was the efficiency of the, the pit teams. This, <clears throat> it's not like being in the McLaren factory, but I think there's a good analogy here. You have exactly the right number of people on a team that you need, right? Mm-hmm. One for each wheel, one for the lifts, and et cetera, et cetera. And they know to the tenth of a second what they've got to do and how quickly they've got to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference between that driver or that team winning or losing the race, right, is the, the uh, effectiveness of the teamwork in the pits. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> can you use that are you able to use those sort of lessons in in the business to help the businesses you go to uh, exactly i mean that is one of the clearest examples that people can connect with very easily mm-hmm. it's very visual um if you take a step back from that in terms of why the pit stop can be make or break the uh the race you know you go back a few years um even to about i think it's about 2008 2009 when they were still refueling you didn't mm-hmm. need to change the tires there's no point in changing the tires any quicker because refueling was the bottleneck in that process. Right. Refueling right. would typically take about 10 to 12 seconds. Yep. And it was only when refueling was taken out or the rules of your organization or the, the climate that you're working in changed. COVID is a, a classic, you know, the, the yep. world changes yep. around you. How do you yep. react to that? And actually it was the reaction to that rule change where people said, 
wait a minute, I can be trying to get the car going faster and faster, and I might get some tenths of a second around the race. Whereas if I can go from seven seconds to three seconds, I've got four seconds cut out of my, my race that's right. straight away. Yeah. So that's, it's identifying, particularly in times of change, what, why should I focus on these areas to improve? That's a, a big, big lesson and what not to improve, which is another, another big yeah, lesson sure. to the back of it. Sure. Um, but yeah. then as you go through and look at the detail, you know, how do you go about taking the pit stop mentality to your organization? Mm-hmm. And we've, you know, mm-hmm. um, I've done a lot of work in manufacturing. I've been in food manufacturing for a lot of my career as well. Um, and changeovers in a manufacturing world where you're changing between one product and another are a classic mm-hmm. example of where you right. that pit stop mentality. Yeah. But I love taking it to different organizations mm-hmm. and I've uh, taken it to financial institutions or to legal practices and things like that, where it's like, actually, if you can change from this operation to that operation or this way of thinking or that meeting to that meeting, you can switch those things over quickly. What advantage does that give you? Is it worth improving mm-hmm. that for you? And if it is, let's look at the at how you go about improving that, working as a team, cutting out those times, getting people working together. And I was only telling the story yesterday of uh, um, how you can look for external um, inspiration around that. So once you've got yourself performing, it's like, do I just do the same thing but try to do it better? One of the things McLaren did I think slightly before my time when I uh, arrived there, but they they brought in the um, Royal Ballet. And they brought the Royal Ballet in to look and observe and feedback on how the pit crew were operating as a team. Okay. Because what they they did is they said, well, if we think about it, what we're doing is about fluid motion. It's about people people being efficient with their movement and it's about – being, you've got to be strong, you've got to be fast, but actually you've got to be graceful in what you're doing as well. It's, yeah, it's, it's a bit chore- of dance. Choreography, right? <laughs> you've got to choreo- choreograph the whole thing. Yeah. And yeah. if things go wrong, you've got to react to each other. That's right. How, how does a, a great organization like the Royal Ballet do that? And so you can look, if you start to step back from what you're doing and say, actually, what what is it about what we're doing that makes it good or bad? Right. Then you can start to really think about bringing in external influences or or just being more open to uh, good practices and, and good ways of working in high performing in different environments wow i think i think what you're saying also is in in terms of clarity is clarity of their specific roles oh definitely yeah. i've i've worked and i won't name the name i won't name the company but years ago i worked in the corporate world where a, there was a lot of overlap with roles. So Mm. this person was confused because they thought that was their responsibility. This person thought it was their responsibility. And then there was just, it was just, anyways, it just didn't work. But I think what you're saying is every person had knows exactly the tasks that they need to do in order to perform. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like a, it's very well choreographed dance from there. Is that, is that how you would, is that an accurate? And, and there's another little nugget that I always like to, to leave people with that as well is that when you're looking to improve a team like that and when you look at where you've got people doing a similar role mm-hmm. and you, you look at who's performing at what level and you're measuring their performance, mm-hmm. um, the instinct is to, to look at those who are performing poorly mm-hmm. and say, what can you do differently? What we, the world of Formula One does really well is they go, right, who's performing really well? That mm-hmm. left rear tire operator is consistently yep. 
getting this quicker than everybody else what can we learn from them and replicate everywhere else mm-hmm. and that's right. that focus on what's working well and what's helping us to win is a clear thing for um that i i don't see enough of in organizations and i really wish i spent a lot more time and energy on those elements because it's so easy to focus on the negatives There's so much positive out there absolutely well, somebody wants i'm sorry peter i just want to jump in one more no time. Carry, carry on just a just a quick comment i i remember um i i remember reading this where if you have somebody that's doing a good job if you focused on that person they could probably get from being doing a good job to doing an outstanding job but if you're then focusing on the person that's doing a poor job to get them to go from poor to good it's you're wasting your energy um Rather, you should focus on the good workers and making them even better. Yeah. Is that is that do you agree with that? Definitely. And what you end up with there is the good ones tend to slip back a little bit as well because mm-hmm. they don't have that attention on them, so they don't have that uh, realization that they they can be pushed even more and right. even more themselves. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, and it's sorry, Kathleen. Quick one, which follows on really is not just the people who are doing a good job, but what parts of the organization need fixing. And I, I remember the story I read very recently in a management book that during the Second World War, the British Air Force spent uh, many man, hundreds of man hours and, and hundreds of pounds studying the plane, the bullet riddled plane, fighter planes or bombers that, that landed. And they said, well, we've got holes there. We better reinforce that. And somebody said, now, hang on. Um, they're not too bad because they got back with bullet holes. What we need to be doing is studying the planes that didn't get back because <laughs> we find out where those bullet holes are. And that's the part that needs reinforcing or armor plating. So, and I think how many businesses spend tons of money on polishing their logo instead of looking at something <laughs> fundamental like the guy who's not changing left back tire quick enough you know yeah. sorry kathleen no, to oh, absolutely no great point so so paul what would be the difference between facilitation and mentoring um so facilitation is taking people and generally a group of people through a process in order to get a result okay. so it, it a good facilitator doesn't necessarily have to have any knowledge about what you're actually doing. So I've facilitated for organizations where the detail of what they do and how they do it is way over my head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even attempt to try and understand what it is because what I'm there to do in that moment is to say, right, I'm facilitating a process to generate some ideas from you or to prioritize some ideas or to come up with a new way of working or to get some collaboration. And so I've set out a process, maybe it's a workshop, maybe it's a a series of activities that are there over a longer period of time, but they're there to work with you and to walk you through a process so that at the back of it, we have an outcome, an output that we've set out as a success factor um, Mm -hmm. at the beginning of the day. So that's a facilitation. It's taking a group of people typically through a process in order to get uh, some form of outcome. Mm -hmm. Um, mentoring is about sharing your knowledge and your experience with people so that they can learn from that uh, the good the bad and the ugly so it's it's um, and it differs from coaching a little bit where you know I do some coaching as well which coaching is really for me is just about asking questions in order to inspire people's own thinking to uh, to get them taking action in a different way excellent Mm -hmm. If we go back to the, and I keep thinking 
I've got an image of ballerinas in tutus running around in the pits in a Formula One race mixed up with <laughs> mechanics in overalls, and it, that image just won't go away. So that's quite quite a weird. <clears throat> Getting back to to using the Formula One as as an analogy or as a model for improving businesses, uh, what about communication? Because <clears throat> there has to be good communication. Again, let's go back to the the team in the pits that's that's got to refuel and retire the car that's coming in and uh, give the driver a drink or, or whatever. Mm. They not only do they have to know their task exactly to the split second before they even start but they also have to have a plan b in case something should go wrong so how do how do you set up that communication in a in a situation like that and and how does that apply to a business situation yeah well the communication is a deliberate practice that's right and it's a um a discipline that is recognized as a game changer so mm-hmm. first and foremost in any organization realizing that the way in which your teams communicate can be a competitive advantage or a disadvantage but let's mm-hmm. uh, focus on the positives here it can be a competitive advantage for your organization if your team can communicate most effectively in any moment mm-hmm. now um there's a couple of elements of the communication one is if you think about that pit crew so mm-hmm. some learnings that you can take there so it's about preparation so during a, a race weekend practice and coming up to that race weekend before the race itself that pit crew are doing maybe about 100 different changes um practice changes of the mm-hmm. car wow. of which some of them most of them may be um a standard four wheel change and off you go but they also practice things like what if um the nose cone gets damaged and we've got to replace mm-hmm. the nose cone or there's a, a problem here, we need to tighten something up, we've got some damage to the rear wing, whatever it might be. So those scenarios are thought about beforehand. And they are, you know, you can use data to back this up and say that, you know, these are the problems that have happened in the past. Or you can do risk analysis to say, here are the things that are likely to happen or, or could happen. And if they do, they're going to have a big impact. Um, and so you can start to say, right, what we're going to do? There's a great um, a f- friend of mine um, is ex-military, and he often talks about this thing about action on. So they, um, whenever they're preparing to go in the military to go and um, do some sort of activity, they'll say, what's the action on ambush at this point? Okay. And so they go, right, if this, if and you, what you're essentially saying is, if this happens, what do we do? Mm-hmm. So you get, get mm-hmm. the team to think that stuff through. And wherever possible, what you can do is you actually get the team to come up with that. As a leader, what you can do is set that team up to have the authority and the the engagement to say, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I want oversight and I I might challenge you and I might want want some additional thinking, but I want to put that to you guys to say in that moment, what are you going to do? Well, Mm -hmm. if we can come up with a plan as a team, we're much more likely to to put that into action when it eventuates yeah wow ah yeah Yeah. interesting so tell us us about your helping people perform podcasts and who it would benefit uh yeah i mean this has come about over the last year or so i'm about 40 odd episodes in at the moment um this uh was a passion of mine essentially and realizing on reflection of my own career that everything that i've done has been about helping others perform at their best and so I'm intrigued about that angle for myself and mm-hmm. uh, rather selfishly wanted to interview lots of people and talk to lots of people about different angles of doing that. 
because I do facilitation, I do coaching, I do operational performance um, in in the wider sense. Um, but other people do all sorts of different things. And I wanted to, one, to speak to those people for myself, but two, to expose others um, to what is available out there. So all mm-hmm. the so- different sorts of coaches, the life coaches, the, the personal coach, the finance coaches, um, the people who are there to, um, who are excellent facilitators. Um, I've spoken to, um, there's a, a lady who's a good friend of mine who's a triathlete, an ultra, ultra marathon mm-hmm. runner. Um, it's about how do you manage and motivate yourself and help yourself perform. So lots of lessons that can be taken out from there. So I'm looking to help people get inspired as to what are the different ways that you can get help. Um, and also looking to expose for practitioners of helping people perform. Here are all the different ways you could be doing it and some insights from uh, from our wonderful guests as to what, what's there. I also do a, a little piece uh, once a week as well, where it's just me to camera sharing some of my direct tips from the F1 world as well. So Okay, that should be, that should be interesting. Tune into that. Yeah. Oh yeah, I had a I I I did get a little piece of one of yours. I think your most recent one yesterday, but then something happened, phone rang or something. I never got <laughs> yeah, a normal story. I never I never got back to it. So that was interesting. Okay, but I will we will definitely listen to more. Um I just I'm gonna ask you my burning question in a moment. I know Kathleen will, will tell me I must yes. but <laughs> has there's something else I wanted to ask you? Is the idea of facilitation more acceptable now? Has it become more acceptable over the last say twenty years or so? Is it is? Um, I think there's a a recognition. So when one of the difficulties I see with organisations is they don't see a need for a, a facilitator or an external facilitator in a lot of cases. Um, and so they'll try to run things themselves. And what you tend to find is you might have a leader or you might have somebody who's um, willing and has the energy to run an event and go, right, we're, we're going to get together. We want to get the team together to do a workshop on um, ideas for how do we improve this part of our business or whatever it might be. And so you get somebody internal to run that for you. Well, it tends to be that that person has a real value in inputting into that process. So you miss out on their ability to input mm-hmm. or they influence how the thing is run because they've got their own uh, prior thoughts and prior biases as to what the outcomes might be so the what's what i'm seeing is more uh, accepting of actually let's get somebody in who can actually mm-hmm. help us with this um we and i would always encourage people take somebody who has nothing no knowledge of your business but right. knows how to facilitate yeah and there's lots of brilliant people out there oh yes they, they they can take away the biases they can take away um, all of those uh, assumptions that you're going into and just help you through the process to get you there. That's right. And they're not prisoners of the culture. That's the other big problem, right? Very much so, yeah. So i got to throw in a quick one. When I was in the corporate world, uh, I was sort of a middle-range manager back in the 80s and in a very big, huge corporation in, in South Africa, which was very formal. We wore suit and tie every day, every day to work. And there was a merger. And the the new, now even larger group said, well, go make some changes you guys can't handle it on your own. We're going to bring in a facilitator. So we all, about 20 of us managers and the MD, the whole deal assembled in the boardroom. And this guy walks in, horror of horrors, in jeans and a T-shirt, right? Oh, <laughs> and you just saw all the faces drop. Thought, oh, my God, we got a hippie coming in here. <laughs> but being so different, you know, 
it worked and he got everyone talking and it was really good. And that's why I asked you, because the resistance I saw in the eighties, I just wondered if that's gone away largely and you've answered that very well. Thank <laughs> you for that, Paul. So, yeah. So here's my burning question and you're a really good one to ask having been involved in formula one. Paul, in your experience, is, is there a single characteristic or mindset that separates successful business leaders or team players from those that remain average or is it more complicated? Nothing's ever complicated in my world. I'm a, I'm a man of simple pleasures. Um, I think it's uh, certainly from a leadership perspective, it's uh, the service and the servant mindset. Okay. Um, I think if you can get yourself into that mindset at any level in an organization, any, any leader of going, I'm here to help the people in my organization perform at their best. And at an organization, particularly the larger organizations, the one, what they're really looking for these days is how can I get people who've got the best interests of the organization at heart? So even if it means that their department or their team doesn't shine off the back of what they're doing, they're, they're doing things at the service of the organization and the right. service of the people in that organization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's really comes down to predominantly just knowing your people and speaking to people and saying, what is right. it? What's stopping you from performing? What, what do you want to do? You know, what, what's, what are you passionate about? What's outside of your work? Show mm -hmm. people you care about them and go for the, the wins, the mm -hmm. wins, you know, it's like, how can we get the best out of you and give you what you need outside of this organization? Flexibility, support, uh, maybe something as simple as sponsorship for a, a, a team that you are passionate about coaching on the weekends, you know, right. uh, think, things that are there sure. show you care will get the most out of people. And that's, that's right. what I think is the key thing for me. Wow, well done. Thank you. That's a very good, very interesting. Well, Back we you, are um, out of time for today, Paul, but please tell people how they can contact you. Well, the best way, I mean, you can listen to my podcast, uh, uh, Helping People Perform there. Mm -hmm. um, but that all ultimately will point you back to my website. So paulteasdale.co.uk, best place to, to go. One of the first things you'll see there is a little pop-up to uh, set up 30-minute chat with me and uh, and let's let's do it. I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. I just want to talk to people about their challenges and, and help connect you with performance that's out there. And if I can help and be of value in any way, then, then that would be fantastic. Wonderful. And for our audio listeners, all those details will be in the description on whatever platform you happen to be listening to this on. From me, thank you, Paul. Back to Kathleen to wind it up. Thank you again, Paul, for being on the show. We so appreciated having you. And once again, thank you all for tuning into our show. And if anyone is interested in being a guest on our show, we uh, invite you to look at our website at theyackingshow.com. All you need to do is click on the contacts tab where you will find a short application form and we would love to hear from you. So until next time, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.